how do, how do we strike this balance of feeling like we're people and and people have fears and problems and it's important for us to connect and bond and feel like other people care about those things how do we draw the line between that and then using that as the primary focus of everything we do so so I'll give you an example Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. So, nothing. What is going on? It's been a morning. <clears throat> Has it been? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah. I'm just running from thing to thing, and I got a new phone, which you will be happy about. Woo! The port works, and we're gonna have good audio, and hopefully, all will be right with the world. So, I've been trying yeah. to get that set up before jumping on calls. And you can't see it, but my office has fallen into some serious disarray. I need to, uh, I need to prioritize some time to get this place cleaned up. So your office isn't always this pristine, well <laughs> manicured, well what's the word I'm looking for? Curated right no. area uh, to show exactly what you want people to think you are. Right, right. It's it's pretty messy. I'll, I'll <laughs> take a picture and we can. We can share it. Yeah. But I, that's probably a good segue into what you want to Yeah, talk you about. set me up way too early. Oh today. man. It is mm-hmm. such a it is such a pet peeve of mine. And and I get it and, and I and I wanna be careful in hopefully turning down my mm-hmm. alerts so we don't kill people's ears here. Mm-hmm. Um Uh, I want to be careful in, in how I talk about it because I, I do want to be sensitive to the fact that I, I know people, especially where this whole doing things remotely and um, being on camera in, in mm-hmm. your home office mm-hmm. can be really, really uncomfortable for people. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like right. I, I, I by no means want to, to bash anybody. You know, th- that that's not not the intention. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was uh, maybe a week or two ago. I forget which client it was. We were we were talking, and you know, like they they started asking questions about some of the pictures I have up in the background here. Mm-hmm. And, like I've got you know all my sports memorabilia up in you know where where I work, and you know the area of the house where I work. <clears throat> and I was describing that, and we got on to the conversation of you know like when everybody started going remote and. Um, I mean, you definitely see it on the news when they bring in the expert to talk about whatever topic they're talking about. You know, like you've got this well-manicured, well-built background. You know, the, the books, the right books are picked and yeah, you've set really up to – Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm like, nope, this is, this is my house. This is yeah. where I work and this yeah. is me. Yeah, mine is very similar. You can see my background – Okay, we'll put it back down. I, I just have random stuff on the wall. The the 33 is an awesome picture that Angie Bledsoe, who um, has been around the analytics industry for a long time, um, 
we worked with her. She was the analytics uh, manager, director at Hallmark. Um, her son, her son does this graffiti art and painted that. And so I, I picked up one of those. The, uh, the dude over in the corner, somewhere over here, mm-hmm. uh, was a gift from Corey Spencer, um, who's been around the, the industry a long time. He was the, um, primary product manager at Adobe over, uh, launch, uh, the creation of launch. Um, and the two little ones above it, you can't see very well, but the one to the left is super, super cool. It is, um some pictures of a it's a moose um with some feathers hanging from a tree that uh Hila's mom painted using coffee oh fun so it's painted in coffee on some really nice paper like parchment paper it's really cool the one above it is a picture of my grandpa that is trench art um Hmm. that one of his uh he was a um what i don't know what they call it in the army um but he was he was part of the tank battalion um Mm -hmm. so one of his tank mates or whatever they were called (laughs) i i I feel bad i don't know the terminology drew that for him um in europe during world war ii oh wow Um, that's awesome and and i have that so what else do i have there oh the uh above the 33 those are my great grandparents Mm -hmm. um that immigrated from italy um in the early 1900s and I found I found that picture in the two of the cabins to the left in my grandparents' house when I cleaned it out after they passed. So mm-hmm. I brought that into the office so they could hang out here with me. Very Let's cool. Down. Now I've screwed up my my camera placement. There we go. That's okay. So yeah, um, I you know it's a, it's an interesting segue because I. There's a there's a client that we work with that always has this really clean, nice background, and and at first. Um, Zoom do, has done a, such a good job with some of these backgrounds. I thought it was her house. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, wait a minute. That isn't your house at all. <laughs> She's like, no, no, that's a Zoom background. And I'm like, come on. She's like, no, no, I'm just not comfortable enough. She's like, you're lucky I'm even getting on camera. So <laughs> I, I, I get it. You know, it's, it's um, what's the word? Um, vulnerable? Like mm-hmm. it makes us vulnerable to let people into our private space. <laughs> so, yeah. so I, I completely get it. But, but for me, and we've probably talked about this on previous podcast episodes, to me, it's one of the, the best things to come out of the uh, switch in the way we live due to the pandemic um, is being able to see people more human, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and even even at this stage in my career, I still have this bias in my head for people that have super fancy titles at billion dollar companies. You know, I have this image that they're not human. You know, they're like these. Oh, that's a big time executive, and that's like a senior VP at a company that makes fifty billion dollars a year. But then you see them in their home, and you see their kids running in the background, and you know their dog like chewing something up in their office. I'm like, yes. This makes you so human and I like you so much more now, right? Because you take off that whole like corporate image and suit that you have on sometimes literally, but more figuratively. And it's like you can see past all that nonsense that we pin on people because of their title in a company and you see them more as as humans. And for me, it, it has been extremely refreshing. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. It's great being able to see people, you know, as as they are. You know, um, I, I think it's really humanized um, a lot of people because we talked about this. We actually had a whole episode dedicated to like the work persona and the personal persona. Yeah. People like to you, you described it perfectly. People put on their work persona when they go into work every day 
And the office, being in an office really pushes to have that. But at home, it, you know, especially with everybody being forced to work at home, it's really broken that down. Yeah. So you can get a bit more human, you know, with, with people versus just the dry, you know, this is what we're going to talk about today and only about work. Yeah. And I, and I, and I believe that most people want that and crave that. And, and in fact, it, it is such a kind of organic, natural part of office work. If you think about it, there's, there's so much interaction that's very organic, whether you're going out to lunch with colleagues or just in the break room or, you know, walking down the hall together where a lot of those personal conversations are shared. I don't, I don't know what the switch was to remote work that made it so that that was so hands off, but it was this weird, I'm like, we were kind of doing that anyway in the office. So I'm not sure why we're a bit more protected now as we, as we go remote, but, but regardless, I, I truly believe that most people crave that. With that said, I do understand that there are, are people, there are companies, um, there are groups where they may crave that, but they also want to take a stance to say, uh, you know, we, we've, we've made a deliberate decision to curate our personal lives separate from our business lives. Mm-hmm. And, and while I think that that has a lot of negatives, I, you know, I have to respect the fact that they're, they're taking a deliberate approach to designing what they feel is, is best for them and trying to keep those, those two things separate. Um, it's just not for me. So where I wanted to go with, with today's episode, and it's, it's been something we actually talked about yesterday. I didn't have a topic for today. We talked about it yesterday. I'm like, this is a yeah. great po- topic to kind of really dig into on a podcast episode. Um, and it's the, you know, the idea of do you keep your work and personal life separate or do you blend them a bit? And the best way to, to think about it um, and because to me, there, there's two general schools of thought. Uh, one being that you keep both of them separate. There is a firm wall, a firm line between the two of them. Yeah. They should never, ever cross. Um, you, know, you don't talk about your personal stuff when at work. It's let's just get the job done. And then there's the other school of thought where it's like it, it's okay to, to share personal details. You know, caveat to that being is, you know, how, you know, as long as you're not making somebody else feel uncomfortable, that is. I yeah. don't want to put that caveat out there. Yeah. You know, there are definitely some things you don't want to share at work. Um, but or should, like, be, or should you share at work? <laughs> yes, or should you? <laughs> but my, my point is, is, you know, when we talk about sharing personal things, you know, it's, it, it, it's the, the banter during, during a work call, whether it's with a client, other colleagues, just the banter of, of what's going on. You know, how was your weekend? Oh, yeah, the wife and kids and I, we, we, we went out and did this or, you know, um, you know whatever. You know, hey, yeah. Yeah, um, I decided to go do this this weekend or I've got plans to do this tonight. Like talking, talking about that in, in th- that, that banter. Some are like, no, oh, you keep that out of here. And yeah. I don't want to say one is right or wrong. Right. Like one is right. One is wrong. You know, like I, I don't want it to be that black and white because as we just mentioned, like there are definitely things you should not share at work. Right. That, you know, just because, you know, you, you get that that real personal relationship, you still keep that out. That being said, what are some of the benefits? You know, and I think we, we've touched on it, you know, at times here, 
you know, some of the benefits of, because you and I are both proponents of, of building a personal relationship along with the, um, the work rapport. Yeah. So what are some of the benefits you could see there? But then also, <coughs> what are some of the benefits of having a bit of a line that you don't cross when it comes into personal stuff? And, and I'm not talking about the things that are quite obvious, but like, you know, when, when do you want to put that line in place? So I think um, we can look at it as, as kind of a continuum. And um, on that continuum, it's how do you perceive the people you're working with? Do you perceive them as a person or do you perceive them as an, an actor within a corporation? Because I think that's an, a very important conversation to have. And then on that continuum, how much of your personal experience are you comfortable exposing in, in conversation? So let's take the first part of it because... That first part of it, I think, is a critical conversation for everybody to have, and it's something that I believe should be agreed to and has really nothing to do with sharing your your personal experiences or figuring out where that line is on what I can share and what I can't share. And by that, what I mean is that far too often, the business world has taught us to see the people we interact with both within our company and maybe partners and people outside the company as corporate actors. They're just playing a part. It's not really Jim. It's Jim at this company who's playing a role. And when he leaves that company, that was just a a role. And now he's like a different Jim. And the danger in that is that you dehumanize people and it becomes easier to treat people very poorly, to attack them. Um, to not see them as human, to not empathize with them. And I think it creates a really toxic and horrible work environment. We see this all the time on the sales side, particularly with procurement organizations. Procurement organizations attract a a really odd breed of people that like to uh, get their fulfillment with beating people up mentally. And, And it's really exhausting. It's really toxic. Um, and in the end, they're creating very little, if any, value for anybody in, in the relationships. And I think a big part of it is is they don't see what they're doing as an attack on a person. They see that they're attacking an entity, a role, and it's just a game, right? It's, it's like we, we fire up the Xbox and we, we, we play a game. You know, It's like, oh, well, we're just in this moment of time where we're battling each other in this virtual world, but it's not real. And then when we turn it off, then I'm a different person. I'm now a human and I care about people and I'm empathetic. But that's not the reality of of how the world works. And it's why I've been such a strong proponent of pushing the fact that I don't like this, this moniker of B2B, business to business, because that's the space that we're in. We're, we're a business and we do business with other businesses. So we're B2B. And I think it's such a, such a toxic way to look at relationships um, because you dehumanize it and, and you get put in this position where it's very easy to like, oh, well, that's just Jim playing a, the role of Jim in a business. It's not really him. So if I attack him, beat him up, and as soon as we you know hit the power button and walk away, then that's not saved in memory anymore. <laughs> you know, But it is. We're, we're human. And that's why I so strongly push the concept that we do business people to people and we take a people first approach. So 
on that continuum, I don't think there should even be an argument. I don't even think there should be a discussion about what the line is. I, I, I truly believe that we need to get rid of this concept that your gym at work and then your gym at home. We've, we've actually seen this parallel in the social space. Several years ago, lots of hot conversations around, do you create a social, uh, a social account just for your professional life and then have a separate one for your personal life? I'm like, what is that? Like, we're just one person. Let's let's stop pretending that one of the, one of these entities is real and one's just a part we're playing. It's all intertwined together. Yeah, and it's funny you you bring something up, and this is kind of like this vision I've had in my head since you know since the the COVID pandemic started and everyone being forced to work from home. And again, I, I, I'm trying to find more information to see how accurate my vision is versus a romanticized view of history. Mm-hmm. But like you know, when, when you see stories about the past, most people worked out of their home, or at least that's the image that, that we're shown um, for the most part. Like, you know, um, you know, I think of like tradesmen and whatnot, like they had their shop at home mm-hmm. and it wasn't until God, maybe the. I am totally off and I've got to find more information (laughs) to see if my image is actually correct. But like maybe what the 1800s until people started going into like, I don't want to say like centers to work together for lack of a better term. You know, the, the, you know, the office came about what, maybe the 1900s, early 1900s, late 1800s. Now, granted you always kind of had like the, 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 the town square, the market where people would go to like some kind of centralized location. But a lot of times, many times, you would go to people and they'd be working out of their homes. Um, it, is that kind of resonating with you? Like, you know, kind of like a, a look back in history? I, I think that's true of, of a lot of things and for sure. And and especially if you look at, at to your point, you know, craftspeople and people of trade, you know, a lot of times those were small shops out of their home, uh, small shops where they lived above the shop. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's probably lots of history in, in the Philadelphia area where maybe that's still the case where there's still a few mom and pops around where there's a small business on the ground floor and they lived on, on the, the floor above. Um mm-hmm. But but yeah, I mean, from from like someone that was a master of their craft, that that was very much the case, and I still and I still think there's some some lingering effects from that that you see. Like I I don't know if I mentioned on the podcast that my basement flooded, um, but as part of that, I'm trying to get cabinets remade, um, and there's a cabinet maker just down the street that makes really high quality, nice handcrafted cabinets. And he's got a shop that he built in the back of his house. So when he, I, I, I looked it up on Google. I'm like, wait a minute. This isn't a neighborhood. This is weird. <laughs> and then get, get over there and it's like, okay, well, it is a mm-hmm. neighborhood. It's his house. And he's got this little path to his backyard. And there's a, a, a warehouse-y little shop he's built back there that has all his tools and his equipment. And he's got some samples on the wall. I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I think yeah. There, there, there is a bit of that for sure. And it, it's almost felt like this year has really pushed people back to that that concept you know you have a space in your house carved out for where you work and you know you're you're with you know your family throughout the day and you're working throughout the day you're not leaving for you know at a prescribed time to be in an office for a prescribed amount of time to then drive home at the same time with everybody at a prescribed time 
Yeah, I think I think one of the interesting things that is coming out of it is the the concept that um, we're we're not just a uh, office army like we're we're not just cogs in this this system. And I think this whole concept of being an expert, a craftsperson, um, being a master of the specific things that you work on. Is, is something that we kind of got away with uh, away from in in the office we we created these this um, this army of office workers and we kind of all look the same and we dress the same and we wear the white shirt and the tie and this is how you mm-hmm. dress and this is how you look and we were clones and I've used that before in previous podcasts like the thing that turned me off the most from office work is like I don't want to be a corporate clone and that's what we had created and we had created that. Uh, because the people that were positioned to profit off it the most knew that if they could create an army of clones, then you're you're just a widget. You know, I can plug people in and out. I can work you until you can't work anymore. I'm going to squeeze every inch of productivity out of you, and then I just put another gym in there because you're just a clone. And and I think it's a very unfortunate, um, but expected output um, of of office work over the last 50 years. Um, I think one of the things that you're pointing out and that we're seeing as part of the pandemic is that there's a lot of people in the office work that aren't clones, that are very valuable um, masters of their craft. And um, I think what we're realizing is, is that by putting them in an, an environment that supports that, they're getting so much more value and work out of it. It's it's kind of the opposite of, I think, what business owners and, and leaders feared is that if we allowed people to be who they are, we can't control them. You know, we can't force them to work certain standards and hours and we're going to lose productivity. We're not seeing it, right? And we've never seen that at 33 Sticks. But I think we're seeing that in our clients. The big fear back in March and April is, well, productivity is going to plummet. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that we're seeing it. Sure, there are peaks, right? This has been... Don't get me wrong. This year has been incredibly hard, incredibly challenging. And I think all of us have gone through definite peaks and valleys over the last year. And I know personally I've had times where it's like, this is exhausting. I just I just don't have the energy to do this. But I think on the whole, I don't I, I don't believe we've seen the drastic drop in overall productivity that people were fearing by letting people leave the office and lose control of the ability to have our army all in one mm-hmm. place and allow them to be human. Well, I mean, one of the things I foresee coming out of this is I expect a lot of companies are going to um, not downsize people, but downsize the amount of office space they keep. For sure. Um, I think we've already th- started seeing it in Silicon Valley mm-hmm. happening. But I think, you know, like um, some businesses that I know that are located out here, like, you know, they're they're remote. They, they've told their employees, you are not coming back into the office until at least June. And it has nothing at this point. It's not necessarily that they can't have employees in the office. It's because most of those employees have kids in the local school district where there is um, a return to school is indefinite at this point. They don't know when they're going to go back. So one of the things they said is, okay, at this point, we're not talking about returning into the office until June of 21. Yeah. Just so it's one less thing that you have to worry about is when you're going to come back. And it's pretty much like, I think they've pretty much shut the office because they also didn't want to create an environment of, well, you don't have to come in, but 
I am your manager. I would like to see you here at least twice a week. Yeah. That, that kind of thing. It's like, nope, nobody is coming in. So then this way people can feel comfortable about their kids being at home and not have to worry about that and have to come into the office. But then also talking yeah. with a client on, on Monday, they've started opening up the office for those that want to want to come in. And um, like everybody has like their two days that they're able to come in so they can keep everybody spread out. And pretty much the feeling I got from them was at this point, I'm not coming in if I don't have to. Yeah. Um, it's it, they're, you know, they're actually one person actually said they are feeling a productivity drop being in the office. I can see that for sure. Yeah, one of the, one of the things that I want to see happen as an outcome from this is the fulfillment of my boss Paul Bartholomew's dream in two thousand, which was uh, I, I don't know if we've talked about it on previous podcasts, but he had this crazy idea back in two thousand that um, our organization I, I worked in IT an internal IT organization we supported our sales and marketing teams by developing software to make their jobs easier. He said, there's no reason why this entire team needs to be in the office concurrently all the time. It makes no sense. Mm -hmm. My vision is let's create a place that we can come as needed, but the bulk of our work is done elsewhere. And we have the fluidity to do that. He was absolutely burned at the stake for having that opinion. It, it never mm -hmm. went through. But it stuck with me. We've been able to create it um, in part. I mean, we don't have physical locations, but that's that's what I would love to see happen as an outcome to the pandemic. Is that dream that Paul had back in two thousand become a reality? And 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 what I would want to see from businesses is to to create that concept. Do you, in in your area, do they have the concept of maker spaces? Are you talking like co-working spaces? No, I kind of, but different. So a makerspace, and there's there's a few here. Um, there's one here that has different things, um, more more like a shop. So band saws and different types of tools that you may not have easy access to in your home. There's actually one that's more of like a kitchen type setup hmm. where it has more industrial kitchen type things. So you can rent time in this makerspace and use and have access to this high-end industrial equipment that you don't own and probably isn't feasible for you to have at home. That is I, what I would... Go ahead. I was going to say, I don't know, but I have to look it up now. Okay. I need to find out if those th kind of things do exist out here. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, you know, I think there are probably are not very visible, but they're, they're out there. There's, there's some that are like car shops like that, where you can go in and work on your car and there's all sorts of tools. And, and as a more kind of corporate view of that, you can go to your like local O'Reilly's or something like that. And they loan out, they have loaner tools, right? Like maybe mm -hmm. high end torque wrenches or something that again, the, the common person working on their car may only need once in a lifetime. You can go. And so that's kind of a, a maker space in that concept, but I would love for, the corporate world to embrace this idea of the makerspace as their as their kind of centralized physical location. Um, it, it 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 most likely doesn't make sense to shutter all physical locations. There are definitely things that are much more suited, and some things absolutely have to happen. Especially if you're manufacturing, obviously have to happen in a physical location. But for the most part, and back to Paul's dream, when it comes to um, when it comes to kind of knowledge work, 
you really you really shouldn't be forced concurrently to have an office that houses thousands of people at a time. Rather, why not look at it as a makerspace? There are we can provide things that maybe are not feasible to have in your home office. Maybe are are just too expensive or high end for most people to have in their home office. Um, maybe we create it more as a gathering location rather than coming and sitting in a cubicle. And we pivot the idea of an office from this farm of workers in cubicles into a makerspace that then draws mm-hmm. people from the company back in because it now provides me extended additional value that I don't have in my home office. And then you have this beautiful blend of having autonomy and freedom of movement with when and where you do your knowledge work. And then you have a home base that adds additional value and not just a place that someone can keep tabs on me. To mm-hmm. me, that would be amazing. Yeah. And and that's what I kind of see coming out of it when I you know, was talking about like, you know, seeing companies downsizing their office space. So, you know, maybe instead of renting three floors of, of an office complex in downtown Philadelphia or downtown Boston or downtown Salt Lake City, they lease out one and nobody has an assigned desk. And what you then do is you essentially sign in. Like, you know, here are the days that I plan on coming in. You reserve a space. So then you can plan with other colleagues of when you want to come in and when, when you want to work. And then um, from there, you know, yeah, people then come in as needed when they need to work in person. And then, you know, people who don't want to or don't need to, they don't. Because then I think that also takes pressure off of people who get a lot more done at home, but then with the traditional office space, feel pressure that if I don't come in and give some face time, even though I'm going to get less done there, I have to go in. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I think it would be amazing. You know, I just think about even downsizing in your example from three floors to one, if you didn't have to prioritize that space as a cubicle farm, what you could do, you know, bring in an industrial designer and like create amazing spaces for gathering and collaboration and, and, and work specific tasks, man, talk about such an amazing setup. Most companies aren't going to do it. Most companies are are sadly going to go back and create more office farms, cubicle farms. Um, but I think a select few will probably use this pivot point as an opportunity to transition their spaces away from the cube. Um, and into something more like a makerspace. And I think I, I'm excited to see what, what that will look like. Um, kind of as independence, that's been the promise of the co-working space for a long time, in, in which I've, I've loved. There's a, uh, a co-working space in Venice that I used to work out of um, several times a year that, that kind of had that feel. You know, it was just so well designed and it had like things that maybe you just wouldn't have at home. And it had like these highly curated spaces that wasn't like an office with a big um, conference room table. It had a patio on a roof Mm. with, you know, and it was just such a cool place to go because it's like it offered things that were not directly available to the, the home office worker. I would love to see that concept continued. It will be interesting. I don't know how many of these and we're kind of going all over the place, but you know, we were getting to the height of the co-working location before the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm nervous to look at what's happened there. Like, how many have been able to survive? Um, is it thriving or mm-hmm. are people avoiding places like that? Well, you just brought something up that I forgot to tell you about. So there's a new co-working space that opened up not too far from here. 
Um, like the people who opened it up are friends or associates of my wife's cousins. Mm. So that's how she found out about it. So like I saw it like she showed it to me like two weeks ago. I'm like, oh, I got to make, make a point to get out there and I haven't yet. But yeah, like a, a new one just mm-hmm. opened up and it's on my list to, to go check out. You know, just yeah. like when you need just a, a change of scenery. Because l- let's face it, for, um, you know, at one point about 10 years ago, I started working for a company, 11 years ago I started working for them, that offered like work, uh, you know, work remote options a couple days a week. Mm-hmm. So eventually I got to a point where half the week was in the office, half the week was from home. And the home became the reprieve from the office. Yeah. It, it, it helped, you know, get uh, – just get you out of you know that, that office mindset. The sometimes the chaos that happens in the office, while at times it is definitely collaborative, it can also be chaotic and and be a distraction. But then working at home exclusively, you start to sometimes get into that mundane routine. Yeah. So that's why I think co-working spaces for people like us, um, you know, can provide you know a a change of scenery. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely good to break it up. In fact, I was I was close to renting a desk um, on an ongoing basis in January. Um, the The space was behind schedule and hadn't finished. And by the time they had finished the space, we were entering like the hardcore lockdowns of COVID, and it never happened. But yeah, I, I I'm myself looking forward to that. I I prefer to do most of my work at, at home. But to your point. Um, being able to break the monotony of it up a little bit is important because uh, there are there are times during this lockdown, and I think it's probably amplified because a lot of us aren't as um, aren't going out as much. There there are times where it's like it's been like six days, but I haven't left the house, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, and that's that's a lot, you know. You need to you need to break it up a little bit. Yeah. So we kind of we kind of. Uh, we kind of wandered a little way off our making work personal topic, but that, that was that was some 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 good stuff. Yep. Um, where to kind of pivot from here? Because I've got a a couple different questions. And like okay. I said, you know, if we go back to the original premise, you know, the two schools of thought: one, you keep work work; you keep personal personal. The other one being, hey, allow a blend of the two. Share, you know, sh- share between the two. You know, and and I, I do feel that like one is not right and one is not wrong. It's it's yeah. not black and white. It, you know, sometimes you need a little bit of both. What are you know like? And, we, and we've talked a lot about the benefits of of being a bit more personal at work, being able to really build a strong rapport with those that you work with, both internally and externally. You know, I know for me personally, having that kind of relationship, it's it's aided in the difficult conversations with clients that will come up. <clears throat> Sure. I've had a few recently, and I think having that rapport allowed us both to get very, very direct without necessarily attacking, but to, to, to be honest. And it's helped, like, knowing you have that relationship with that person helping address the, you know, the, the difficult nature of the conversation. Um, but what, are, what do you think are maybe some of the benefits to maybe <coughs> pulling back a bit on sharing at work? And, like, let's not go to the obvious extreme examples that can be you know, talked about, but like maybe where, when do you think there might be a time to say, okay, yeah, like pull back on that a bit. Don't necessarily share all of that. Yeah. And you got to keep it professional. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's, I I mean, the obvious topics that we don't need to touch on that should be off base are, are out there, 
But I think there's very little downside to being personal and human at, at work. I do think that there are times where uh, it, it may distract and that may be a, a point where we say, okay, we're maybe we're getting too close to the line. Not so much that that it's a specific topic or conversation that's problematic, but um, dwelling on things that are then pulling away from the work. And that has always been my concern is like, how do, how do we strike this balance of feeling like we're people and, and people have fears and problems and it's important for us to connect and bond and feel like other people care about those things? How do we draw the line between that and then using that as the primary focus of everything we do? So, so I'll give you an example. So let's say that, uh, let's say that I broke my foot in a skiing accident and every time Jim and I got on a conversation, we spent 40 minutes with me complaining about how having a broken foot has ruined everything and it spirals into this, like everything sucks and like, what are we doing? And then we don't get any work done. Mm-hmm. You know, that can be the downside, you know, where we attack to attach to negative emotions um, in in a personal conversation setting. And we allow that to then distract and um, and draw our focus away from the work that, that needs to be done. Um, with that said, it, it needs to be a balance. And it's it's not a you start one conversation and you start another. I I think if you think back to if you think back to. Um, most conference calls, how does it begin? You, you have this really awkward, forced, personal conversation, and then you <laughs> and then you have an abrupt, okay, now it's time to start the meeting, and then you put on Jim, the corporate gym, and now you become corporate gym. That's not what I'm. That, that's not what we want, right? Um, I think what what we need to have in the work environment is just a reflection of what we have in our in our personal lives, and that is keeping things in proper perspective and and balance. So kind of going back to your original question, you know, what, what is a negative downside of it? I think is whenever those things come out of balance, it's negative. And that's on both sides. Mm-hmm. If, 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 if work is dominating everything and it's out of balance, that's, that's negative. If every time we get together and we try to work on a project and collaborate together and we spend 90% of the time commiserating with how, you know, hard life is and things that are going wrong in my life, that's, that's a negative. Right, it's out of balance. We we need to constantly strive for the balance in that. And and again, it's not a linear thing where it's like, okay, this is personal time, stop. This is professional time, stop. Like that's not how we are as humans. It's just this organic, natural flow of conversation that when it works, you just know it works. When it feels off and forced, you know it's off. When it's wait a minute, we shouldn't be like we spent the last two days commiserating over your broken foot. I don't have a broken foot, by the way. Um, <laughs> um, something feels off. You just know it feels off. You want to find your way back to that that place of balance. And and to me that that's really where we we need to be focused um Mm -hmm. we shouldn't have to have a lot of conversations around around topics that shouldn't be had at work although they happen a lot and and they happen kind of they happen more than you think they do yeah for sure yeah and and i like how you put it as distractions you know it's one thing like when, when it starts to become a distraction then you know you're you're approaching the line and another distraction i see is like sometimes you know you know, it, it becomes a distraction when you allow the personal, you know, to to interfere not in how you were talking about, but in other ways. And one thing, like to you know, I was talking about before this is is 
you know, the personal rapport I've been able to build with clients have has enabled me to better approach the difficult conversations yeah. and have those. But that could, like to your point, become a distraction when you allow the personal relationship to prevent you from getting there. Oh man, I don't want to, yeah. you know, I don't want them to be mad at me. I, I don't want to lose the relationship I've built. So I'm not going to address this, this touchy topic or this, have this hard conversation about the work that that's happening. You know, yeah. you allow the one to interfere with the other. I, and I, in, in those cases, I think it really comes down to how much you value the relationship and, mm -hmm. and, and that is a good barometer of is the relationship real or is it, is it not? Is it, mm -hmm. have we invested a lot in making this a trusted real relationship or is it more of a, a plastic made up relationship? Because if you, if you think about the people you have the closest relationships with work colleagues, family, friends, um, I think you would find it common to have lots of disagreements and lots of difficult conversations. At least I would hope so, because we, we don't all see things the same and we all are not all perfect. None of us are. And it's our friends that are able to point those things out. Some of my closest friends are the ones I rely on to call me up and say, Jason, quit being a jerk, you know, <laughs> quit acting like that. And, and they're comfortable doing that because if it was a fake relationship, there would be tremendous amount of fear in having those conversations because it's very easy to hit the unfollow button, to defriend, like we're not mm. buddies anymore. But if we're real friends, then we have an accepted agreement that the destination we're going to is the same. We, we just may have different paths to get there and maybe we fall off the, the chosen path on our way there and we need our friends to correct us and pull us back to where we need to be. But we all have the same outcome in mind. And I think about that a lot with our clients when it comes to um, doing consulting work. Um, the, the reason why I think it works and why we can have disagreements and sometimes have very heated and difficult and scary conversations at times um, is because we, A, have invested in a real relationship. It's not fake. It's not something we just made up to sell a deal or to run a project. It's a real relationship that mm -hmm. we've, we've both invested heavily in. And two, or did I say A? A and two. Um, <laughs> Roman we, numeral three. We, we have an agreed upon outcome that's the same. We're trying to get to the same place together. And we've agreed upon that. And that makes those conversations so much easier to have. So again, I think... If, if we have that fear around the conversations, then maybe it's a good opportunity for us to step back and say, why am I feeling this fear? Is it is it just natural human fear? Okay, that's one thing. But is it fear because we thought we had created a relationship, but really the relationship's not there? Then maybe that needs to come back on us and say, wow, okay, wait a minute. You know, We haven't invested the time to really make this a proper, true relationship to make these difficult conversations Maybe not easier to have, but easier to have because we know that we're not going to instantly get the unfriend button clicked on us because it's just a, a fake online relationship. Mm -hmm. You know? Yep. Oh, totally. So, yeah, I mean, to, to me, it's 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 critical that it, it's really an, uh, a relationship that is properly invested in. And you started off the conversation around like there's not a right or wrong approach to like, do you do this or not? I agree. Um, especially from a business standpoint, if, if you take the perspective of we're creating a separate, um, 
image of who we are, that's fine. As long as you don't reject my first point that even still you have to see people as human. You can't see them as playing a role. It's fine to be a bit impersonal, maybe cold at work, like we're just doing a job. That's, you know, you can you can be successful and run a fine business doing that. I, I wouldn't want to work at that business. I wouldn't want to create a business like that, but it's it's fine. Um, for for us, we've we've taken the extreme opposite approach, where everything we do is personal. Um, how we treat our employees, how we how we interact with our um, with our partners on the client side, it's all at a a very personal level, um, to the point where we've been privately and sometimes publicly attacked for that. Um, I've called I've called our team a family that we see the members of our team as as a 33-6 family. I have been attacked privately and publicly on Twitter for taking that stance. That I've been told that that's a very toxic stance, that's not, that's not fair to my employees, that I'm using that as a way to treat them poorly. And I'm like, I don't know how you can make that judgment because you're not inside our company. Now, mm-hmm. maybe that's fair. Maybe we need to take a look at it. But that's the stance that I've... I've chosen to take. Um, I've I've also um, been attacked privately, specifically by um, companies, and it's it's been a while. Um, but three or four years ago, I filled several requests from companies that had an interest in purchasing thirty three sticks. And when they started kind of pulling things back, they're like, "Wait a minute, why are you doing X, Y, and Z? Wait a minute, why are you giving your employees money to build out their home office? Wait a minute, why are you paying for your employees to do this?" And I'm like, "Because they're family, they're human. I want this. I wanted to do this together." And like, no, 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 it's killing your margins. You, you can't be doing that. <laughs> you know, that's stupid. That's not how you run a business. I'm like, but but that's how we want to run our business because our business are about is about people. And and I get it. I get the. I get the business world shocked by that because most businesses aren't about people. As much as they portray the fact that they may be and they want to be personable, the reality is is most businesses, their primary and only goal is to make a profit for the shareholders. And that creates a really toxic environment for employees. And sadly, it makes a very fake environment for employees because employees think that the company cares about them. And And one day they find out really coldly that, that they don't. Yeah. Cause I mean, in the past, you know, like I've known people that, you know, have said like, you know, with their job, you know, the, the seat would still be warm and they'd have somebody there, you know, to replace it. For sure. And that's the whole concept of creating the corporate army, right? The corporate Mm -hmm. clones is yep. that Jim at work is just a clone, and I can get another clone of Jim really, really easily. Um, yeah, you can. I've been trying to get clones of me, and I, I just can't. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. They're not out there. So, no, I, I, yeah. I, jo- I joke, I joke. Yeah. But you know what? I Honestly, I think that is probably the best way to wrap this one up. You know, We definitely meandered this time, but um, it was fun. It, it was fun. It's definitely fun to revisit these conversations you know, through the lens of this year, which has been a very, very hard year yeah. and people have been forced to, to adjust on the fly. Yeah, for, for sure. And, and, and I would just leave it by, obviously everyone needs to take the time to evaluate what's the right environment for them on the scale of how personal should we be? That's a, a decision everyone needs to make and needs to find a company that, that aligns with that. Um, but 
during this time of a lot of us, the majority of us working from home from with the pandemic, use it as an opportunity to explore and and be a little bit vulnerable as my dog is barking in the background, which I'm <laughs> sure you can hear. My vacuum, by the way, which is named Jim, is is, is running outside the office door and is noisy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's okay, you know, like let let go of that like fear. You remember the guy, and this was pre-pandemic, with the guy that was working from home doing the interview, and his kid wandered into the room, and he had yes, a major freak I love out. That. Yeah, just let it happen, you know. And and I'm I'm trying to. To, to send that message to our clients because a lot of them, again, they work in billion dollar companies. They're, they're used to the corporate image that they have to keep. And, you know, I'll, I'll hear their kids in the background and they're constantly hitting the mute button and like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, turn on the camera, let them wander in. Like, yeah. this is, this is the time we need to like, let our guard down a little bit and explore it and find out where we're comfortable. Mm-hmm. So agreed. Cool. cool. So I think that's a great place to, to wrap up for today. All right. Good conversation. Yeah, very good one. So cool. With that, we'll uh, we'll end it here and we'll chat with everybody later. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.